This episode will cover topics that may be triggering for some people. These topics may include emotional and physical abuse. Please be aware before listening that you may need to stop and seek help. Welcome to our podcast, Through Thick and Three Decades, a podcast about two mates, gymnastics, coaching, parenting and life, where we open up about our real life experiences and share our stories, the good, the bad and of course, the unfiltered. Welcome to our new podcast, Through Thick and Three Decades. I'm Jade Sharp. And I'm Kirsty Lee Brown. And we'll be delivering one podcast per month in 2024. And we're excited to share things with you um, and topics that we really enjoy, like gymnastics, sports coaching, life, and of course, our friendship. We've been best mates for 30 years. And during that time, we've um, shared gymnastics, we've had big Olympic goals as kids, we've shared businesses coaching, marriages, divorces, little kids, big kids. We've shared it all, haven't we, Kirsty? We have. We absolutely have. And so we want to, for this first episode, we want to sort of take you right back to where it all started for us and for our love of gymnastics. So we're going to share each of our stories about how we got involved in gymnastics so you can learn a little bit more about where we've come from and where we want to, you know, go in the future. Yeah, exactly. And then, importantly, how we met. Yes. And yes. I think you started gymnastics a long time before we met. So how about you share that story? Yeah, um, that story is one that starts way back. Um, I was probably started gymnastics back in the mid-80s, so maybe 1985, 1986-ish. <clears throat> I was only probably five years old at the time. Um, I come from a really small town um, in on the coast of New South Wales, so Nara, um, and somehow I think I was watching television, and Mum always sort of told me this story as we were growing up, and I was watching the Commonwealth Games on telly, and just like every kid does, you yeah. know, when it's on, if you're a sports fanatic, and both my parents were into sport, um, and I said to Mum, I want to do gymnastics. That's what I want to <laughs> do, and she's like, Oh my god, okay, how do I get this kid into gymnastics? Um, my mum had a background in hockey and sort of, um, I want to say national level swimming and she just feared gymnastics. So I was, she had no idea where to take me and she just sort of um, went back to her roots as a kid living, you know, on the south coast of New South Wales and um, she actually found out that one of her um, old school buddies was coaching gymnastics, yeah, had a right. local club. So she took me up there and as much as I bugged her time and time again, I'm like, mom, I want to do gymnastics. So she finally got me up there. And the first two lessons, I just remember crying. Why? <laughs> I just, I didn't want to leave mom. It was scary. Yeah, like, right. what am I doing? I was like five years old. But, you know, for the last, like, probably three months, I'd been annoying her to um, start gymnastics lessons. So finally got myself in there. Um, got settled in I think after about that second lesson I absolutely loved it fell in love with it just wanted everything I did was to do with gymnastics so we lived on a really nice little property um, underneath Camborara Mountain growing up and my dad was very hands-on in terms of you know building things so I had a beam on my back 
veranda. Um, I had a little metal bar. We had a trampoline. <laughs> we had all of this, all of the things. Yeah. And I would just, you know, come home from school, wake up in the morning. I'd be on the bar practicing stuff on the beam. I had no idea how to do any of it. Um, <laughs> and just fell in love with the sport. And that sort of grew into... Um, I guess, you know, doing your local competitions and things. And one local competition, I was uh, talent spotted by the head coach of the Institute of Sport at the time. So by this stage, it was sort of early 90s. Wow. So how old would you have been then? Around 10? Uh, just under 10, I think. Yeah, right. I was probably eight or nine at the time. Yeah, and right. I was talent spotted. And so <clears throat> um, they said to me, you know, we want you to come down and do a three-week trial. I think at the time I was probably eight. Where? At the, at the Institute of Sport in Canberra. So you were living in Sydney and they wanted you to do a three-week trial in Canberra. Yeah, so not quite Sydney, but yeah, I was on the south coast of New South Wales. So Sorry, I was living right, at yeah. home, yeah, with my family. And then they said, yep, three-week trial in Canberra. You come and live in the AIS halls of residence. Um, I was eight years old, never been on school camp before, never sort of done any of that stuff. And so three weeks away from my parents was pretty huge. Huge, yeah. Um, but, you know, very excited. What an honour. You know, this little kid from a small t country town. So went and um, did the trial, which had some positives, also had some negatives. But what was the trial? Like, what, what sort of things did you do? So we just got up every morning and trained, basically. We did big training sessions. Um, it were they must... strength sessions? Yeah. What, what were they looking for? They were, everything. They were looking for everything. So we did strength, um, conditioning. Uh, flexibility was very very big yeah. what our sort of skill basis was and mine was obviously coming from a small club like it wasn't um, probably up there with some of the the bigger clubs um, from New South Wales and the ACT um, so I was very behind in that sort of stuff but showed a lot of determination and I think were I, I was very strong strong little kid um, and so after that three-week trial, I went home and just went back to life, normal school. I think I was in grade five at the time and uh, got a letter one day saying, we want to offer you a three-month scholarship wow. to be an AIS athlete. Um, and that sort of just changed our world, I guess, like my both my parents. Um, you know, my mum was very happy to help. She had some, I guess, some sporting I don't know, like dreams when she was younger as yeah. well. And so she was very naturally talented. And I think she sort of thought, well, this is an opportunity we can't say no to and we give it a go and see right. how it goes. So I had, you know, very supportive. My dad was supportive too, but he couldn't just pick everything up and leave. Um, had to support my sister and I. I have an older sister. So she's uh, two years older than me. And yeah, just had this like very cool lifestyle on a farm, rode motorbikes, my sister had a horse. So coming from that and then I started my scholarship in 1992 at the AIS. I'd had glandular fever for uh, about three or four months, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to going on scholarship. Um, and so I went from just being a normal kid who went to gymnastics a couple of afternoons a week to being a gymnast on scholarship wow. who was training at an elite level so you moved there yeah my well my mum and my sister and I um, sort of picked everything up and we lived in a caravan for the first probably six months yeah right in Canberra I didn't know that in the middle of the winter <laughs> the Canberra winter we call it the Canberra winter because it's a different winter um, and so yeah there's lots of memories of you know slip and sliding around on my vinyl 
very cold, you know, um, caravan bed and yeah, that sort of stuff. So I spent the next, I don't know, five and a half years at the Institute and my dream had always been as a little girl, um, to win six gold medals for Australia um, and to compete for Australia and, and be a gymnast. And I even remember going to my auntie's 21st birthday dressed as Nadia. My mum had made a very (laughs) cool Romanian tracksuit. And so, yeah, everything, I guess, since I started, like once they got me in the gym, I don't know, I just loved it. I just loved everything about it. I loved the friends. I love learning new skills. I love like the... I don't know, I guess the challenge, it, it, it can be quite challenging, but being able to set those goals and then really working hard to achieve them, I think that was what I loved about it the most. And so I guess my journey started when I was about five and when I was 10, I was a scholarship holder at the Institute. Wow. So in yep. five years sort of had that that turnaround time and um, <clears throat> I achieved some really great things when I was at the Institute of Sport in terms of you know, competing. I competed at a world championships, um, in 1995 in Sabai. I was part of the team that qualified us for a a team to the Olympics in 1996, which was really huge. Yeah. And, and I remember there was a little bit of controversy that year around it. There was something that happened on vault and anyway, we were all waiting. We were either 12th or 13th and they came back from the meeting and we'd been waiting for probably a couple of hours and they said yep you've done it you've you've qualified a team and I just remember the excitement that was that was pretty fantastic for the girls that were involved in that and but we always had just in our our mentality was we were always going to make a team so there was never are we going to there was never doubt there was never any doubt and then after that it was a little bit challenging in training had some injuries and things but um, qualified for 96 Olympics and I competed at the 96 Olympics um, in Atlanta I was one of the team members there I competed three apparatuses I was um, injured at the time um, but was very lucky and very fortunate to be a part of that team and a part of that group of girls that got to go over there Um, and then after that I came back and just didn't really feel the vibe to continue gymnastics so I guess for me you know if you don't love something you do it's really hard to continue and I'd felt that I'd achieved that goal like I'd only ever really had in my head I want to go to the 1996 Olympics right and I think once I did that it was kind of like okay what now yeah and so yeah that was sort of my journey and you know, after that, I, I left gymnastics and kind of grew up. And I have now I'm a mother of two who are young adults. I can't say that they're kids <laughs> yeah. anymore. They're big grown-up people, little grown-up people, I should say, um, who are fantastic kids. And, yeah, I know you mentioned at the beginning a little bit about, you know, marriages and divorces and things. Yeah. So I have been divorced um, and remarried and just sort of in that phase of my life of what do I do with myself again? Like the kids have grown up and I think that that's kind of a spot where you go, "Mm -hmm." rediscovering yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Rediscovering myself. And the last few years of what you and I have been through has also been very eye opening and I think challenging, but also it's gotten us to a a place where we can sort of re look at things with fresh eyes. So, yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, my little story on yeah. how I did gymnastics. And my story is very typical, I would think, for 
a gymnast, an elite gymnast. Well, it's not very typical going to the Olympics, so we might maybe not going to say that. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, my story about, you know, how your talent spotted in a sport and then you picked yeah. up and then you go, I think that was very – that was a process for me that started when I was five years old. Yeah. Whereas you, you have a very – um, I want to say unique story yeah. and from what I know of gymnastics and I've been involved since I was very little it is a unique story and I think um, it's one that's kind of very interesting so would you like to share? Sure. <laughs> so my my story started on Bribey Island in Queensland and that's where my family have lived since 1981 um, so I was only one when we first moved there and uh, like you I always wanted to go to the Olympics and Anytime anyone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, it was, I, I want to go to the Olympics. Unfortunately, no one ever told me, gymnastics at the time, you, you might retire at 16, you've got to have another goal, <laughs> and also, not going to get paid. Yes. No one ever told me that either, but you know, when you're little, you just want to do those things. Yes, it's, it's not a job, it's something you do when you're little, and then you move on from that. Um, but so... We didn't have a gymnastics club on Bribe Island, so I grew up playing netball. Um, A small recreational club started. They had a tumble strip and a balance beam. And so I did that for a couple of terms um, when maybe I was about eight or nine. I was going to say, how old were you when you did that? Maybe eight or nine and then just kept playing netball. Uh, Also, my family couldn't, couldn't afford for me to play too many sports, so it was one sport a year. So I always chose netball. Yeah, um, and my gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> day That's all it was. <laughs> well, I love that. Mm. <clears throat> so um, I, I was spotted by that same gymnastics coach that started that rec club on the beach at Bribey when I was in year seven. Mm. And she said, oh, where are you doing gymnastics? And at the time... I said, well, nowhere. I haven't done gymnastics since I left you, but I was doing a round off and 10 backflips on the beach. And my brother would spot me a standing back salt Mm -hmm. and I could do a run front somersault on the beach. And I had taught myself all of those things. And so she thought it was amazing and said, I've got to get you a trial spot at Launton Gymnastics Club, which is in Brisbane. Yeah. And so I went for a trial and they said, we're going to do a term trial because at the time they had a like an elite satellite it was an elite satellite club mm, so yes. they had it was the elite program but it was stage two so they had stage one two three four junior yeah, senior elite yeah when you say satellite that just reminds me i was talent spotted and then they said you need to go to this satellite coach yeah right who lived an hour away from where we lived so i did that for a couple of years before i went on scholarship. Yeah, right. But yeah, that satellite coach, yeah. that satellite That must have been the thing they did in the 90s yeah. maybe. Yeah, um, So that, that coach suggested that I was quite old to be starting gymnastics. Yes. Um, because I was... Over the hill at nine? No. <laughs> I was actually 11. Oh, my God. <laughs> so over the hill at 11. Yeah, I was 11 when I started gymnastics. Um, and so they put me into 16 hours a week training. So my first ever week of gymnastics was 16 hours a week. So it was a big change from my one hour a week netball training to one hour um, game on the weekend. Wow. But I loved it. Mm. And the coaches were very tough, but it just felt like I was home. Mm. It, it felt like I was exactly yeah. where I needed and wanted to be. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And... 
So from there, I developed pretty quickly and I was chosen to go to Chandler, which at the time was the High Performance Centre for Queensland. And so I moved there and started in a junior elite um, squad with Lisa Skinner, who I thought was the most amazing (laughs) – she was the most amazing gymnast I'd ever seen in real life. And she was doing back handsprings on the balance beam. (laughs) And I thought, I'd, I'd made it. I'm here. She's my Nadia. And I just looked up to her so much. Um, and so very quickly, uh, I progressed pretty quickly. And that, that junior or senior elite squad, that was the top elite squad in Queensland at the time. And we got a Russian coach who was awesome and he had amazing technical knowledge and he was such a great coach for me and he progressed me really quickly. And um, so in two and a half years, I'd made my first Australian team, senior elite Australian team. And, and, and I, I, that's that just blows my mind, absolutely blows my mind because like I was five, took me five years to get to the AIS and then it took me another however many years to progress to get to that actually where we first met our very first international competition yeah and it took you two and a half years yeah but it wasn't two and a half two and a half years wasn't my training life I'd been training since I was a baby my mom had us out in the backyard doing everything you could ever possibly imagine I mean I competed against my dad in handstand competitions and he could he could do a handstand for more than 20 seconds and see I think that's I think that's really important that that's really important because I feel like we all and have done in the past maybe not so much now I can see a change in sport but have very much like focused on one sport and developing that especially for gymnasts but I feel as though we need to be a little bit more open to looking at those kids who have who have adventured into all sorts of stuff for sure I mean developing physical literacy is the goal for yes me bringing up my kids yeah get them in as many sports as possible from a young age and playing Mm. in the backyard I think is the most important thing yeah absolutely Uh, and I, I feel as though I probably didn't do that enough as a kid, but as a coach, I started to recognise those things when I when I started coaching. So I found that that was really important. <clears throat> so, yes, eleven so, to what thirteen and a half, mm-hmm. you were on your first Australian team. Yeah, which yeah. is which is absolutely incredible. I, I it still blows it still blows my mind, but it brings <laughs> us. <laughs> I guess it brings us to that point of like, well, you know, if we both found our way to the Institute of Sport and that's how we found yeah. our way to each other really. So there was a trial competition for the Senior Pacific Alliance Championships yes. in New Zealand and it yeah. was my very first, um, what's it called, not compulsories but optional optional, optional competition. Yes. My first optional competition. Yeah. And so we both made the team. Yep. And you and I were reserves. We were juniors. We were the we were like the babies of the team. The babies. And so I was. I mean, that was so exciting, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was, a, and it was a really exciting time. Obviously, you get your first Australian uniform, first Australian tracksuit. You get to travel. Your Adidas tracksuit, Adidas bag, the whole kit. <laughs> we got to fly to New Zealand. Absolutely, three-hour trip over the ditch. And we were roomed together, right? We were. And I guess that's where. Our friendship started yeah and that's I you know that's why why we're here talking about 
um, you know, on this podcast talking about this sort of stuff. But exactly. I think we bonded on that boat, didn't we? We did. It was, the, bo- it was the boat trip. It's the boat story. <laughs> it was It was a, a story where we were the youngest ones. Um, we got to do – it was before competition, wasn't it? It was before the competition. Yeah, yeah. and so we got to go out on a boat. With I, all the athletes, well, male yeah. and female. Yeah, I, can't, I don't know what lake or – some body of water in Auckland exactly so it was in Auckland somewhere and we got to go on a bit of an adventure and so we're like yeah this is really cool and so Jade and myself were like yep great we found the best spot on the boat within probably the first 10 minutes yep we found yeah we found (laughs) where the kitchen staff were walking out with the plates of food (laughs) and so we were like this is amazing we're just gonna like find ourselves down here we didn't need to be upstairs like you know talking to anyone else or anything like yeah we so, just needed food we were so hungry yeah and it, it smelled like it was all fried food right yeah it was a lot of fried food and so we we found that little spot and we bonded over well lots of jokes there were lots of jokes and things like that going always on. jokes i mean that's been the theme of our last 30 years right we've got Humor. to make a joke of yes, it. yes yeah, yeah absolutely even so, if it's sad where's the joke in it uh, yeah a hundred percent so we bonded over our little boat trip and it was actually quite funny because we were so naive, I guess, at the time that sure. we didn't actually realise. But that next day, we got lined up. Yeah, and we. Wa- I was wondering why there were scales on the conveyor belt with our luggage. Why would they yeah. bring scales? That yeah. didn't make sense to me. Yeah, so for me, that was something that was probably normal. Um, I'd been at the AIS probably, what, nearly two years? Okay. A year and a bit. Probably a solid year and a half. Um, and our regular routine was you weigh in the morning, you weigh in the afternoon. Um, one of the coaches would get us all on the scales, check our weight, and then would sort of dictate, I guess, how our training session went from there. Yeah, right. Um, well, so my coach had never weighed us at all. So I didn't know what my body weight was yeah. when I'd made my first Australian team. Yeah, so that, that next morning... I we, was 34 kilos. We, That's what it was. 34. <laughs> at how old? 13? Yeah, probably. I was probably nearly 14. Wow. wow. I, yeah, I would have been probably 12, just turned 12 maybe. 12, yeah. So anyway, that next morning, we'd had a ball of a time on the boat. Everyone's like, yeah, this is really fun. So like, fun. I was sweating when they brought the scales out because I thought, well, what's this going to mean? I at least ate three kilos of sausage rolls. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all got hauled out, lined up and put on the scales. And um, I just remember that feeling of like dread. That was probably the first time I had that feeling of dread. I was like, oh, my God, like, what have, what have I done? What have we, we got yelled at. What have we done? Yeah. Yeah, well, everyone else got yelled at. But it was also, like, it was, like, our first trip. It was just amazing. I'd never been to New Zealand before, like, never travelled outside the country. Yeah. So you just do everything and you want to explore and... and it, and it really did turn the excitement into something else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, from then on, I thought... Well, holy shit, now I've got to watch what I'm eating because if I weigh more tomorrow, are they going to yell at me too? And not only did they yell at the girls, they, like, shamed them. Yeah, yeah. And we were – I felt a little bit lucky that day. I kind of felt like I was a bit lucky for a a little while there because we were the youngest. Yeah. Somehow – our weights weren't increased at all or up so we were like well they didn't even know my weight yeah but they just I don't know what it was and I think maybe it came down to we'd had a tough session Mm. 
and they blamed body weight on the on tough that. session. Yeah. Which yeah. then obviously then came to be a bit of a pattern. Yeah. At the AIS. But um, certainly for our first Australian comp or representation, it really changed the way I thought about yeah. gymnastics and my body. Yeah. Because I didn't think any of that that was an issue. My my personal coach, he did not say anything about body weight whatsoever. And so it was a big wake up call, eye opener, and I started to think about my body weight for the first time ever. Yeah. And I was thirty four kilos. And, and let's create and thirteen years old, which is, you know, peak time for those really impressionable moments of, you know, how you look at yourself and how you view sure. your body. Um, and I guess it had sort of started for me, but I'd always sort of skimmed under the radar, being the youngest, being the newest sort yeah. of to the team. I was sort of always, you know, I was very tall. I was always, it was always mentioned my height was... It was always mentioned Always height. too much. Yeah. Um, like I you was, could have done anything yeah, about it. <laughs> too, too, too tall and too inflexible. Um, but my weight seemed to be okay. So that didn't really hinder me as, as much. But I guess that's that's why we've decided you know like we met and we just had this bond and this connection and yeah. we've spent we've spent so many times in each other's lives you know and we really have been through everything like you know first boyfriends and you know leaving school and growing up and yeah houses and, and absolutely first baby babies. everything <laughs> all the babies yes yeah. first not even first piercing, second piercings. Yes, yeah, oh, yes, yes, yep. I remember those ones. But I guess, and that's why we're here and that's why we decided to put our experiences down, um, I guess, yeah. like record them because yeah. we have, we've, especially in the last few years, um, we've been through a bit of a challenging time together, I guess, and a challenging time for quite a few athletes. And so we decided that, we wanted to share that experience with each other and we have opened up more than ever if you can believe it it's funny because we've been friends for such a long time and as the podcast suggests three decades (laughs) and we had never really spoken about what happened yeah at the AIS and what that was like how it's actually affected us um but we did I think it started, didn't it, in 2020 when we watched Athlete A yeah, yeah. on we, Netflix. And, and I've said this probably numerous times. We used to joke about a lot of stuff and, and we would have one-on-one conversations and just it, it'd be a bit of a laugh. And even like even when we'd get together with a couple of other athletes that were sort of in our time yeah. or, you know, who used to train with us. It might yeah. have been at QAS. It might not have been. And, yeah. and we would sort of have these jokes and these laughs about it. Or we'd share stories and over time they become they became less and less funny, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then 2020 kind of rolled around and we watched Athlete A and I guess that brought up, that brought up a lot. It brought up a lot for me, and I know that we had sort of like, have you watched it yet? No. Have you watched it yet? Yeah, no. we couldn't bring ourselves to watch it. Because we knew, right? We yeah. knew we had been avoiding this for a very yeah. long time. And when I finally watched it, I just remember sitting there, and there was a, there was a moment I, I did cry. Oh, I did, like, just I just stopped, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this 
this is exactly our story, just in a, you know, a, a slightly different voice. It wasn't exactly the same story, but... The, the culture's the same all around the world. Yes, yeah, and when I say slightly different voice, I mean slightly different culture, but the same, you know, undertones. And I think at that time, we kind of, we stopped sharing stories then. We can't, well, yeah, I think we realised the stories that we had been sharing and laughing about and joking about were, were actually not, stories of abuse. Yeah, they weren't funny. And they didn't become – well, they weren't funny anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were devastating. And so we kind of started to try and open up a little bit more about in, – in honest time, like terms, I yeah, guess, yeah. about what we felt. And, um, and I, I was so angry one day and I just felt like – I'm actually not going to hold my this in anymore. I'm going to mm. share it on Facebook. And I'm just going to write some dot points, facts, facts of yeah. things that I went through that happened. Yeah. And I didn't know if they were surprising or shocking because, of course, it's very confusing Yeah. when everyone around us was going through it. And so we thought, oh, this is all normal. These are all normal behaviours. This is what you have to go through to be an Olympic gymnast. All good. Shut up that's, and keep going. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, yes, gymnastics is a tough sport. I, I will say that firmly, even as a coach now. But from what I've learnt now and from the other side, what we went through was not necessary yeah. to become an Olympic athlete For sure. or an Olympic gymnast yeah. and there are better ways and there are other ways and that was kind of eye-opening I guess because I at the time I'm, I was coaching I was knee-deep in coaching and with you know young state national athletes yeah. and had to kind of like you know how do I deal with the kids that I'm coaching every day yeah. whilst I'm trying to deal with the fact that what I went through was definitely not beyond tough yeah not the experience that it should have been yeah um and not the experience you could ever want for your daughter right no yeah and at the time she was doing gymnastics at you know and I was coaching her and I felt like that was probably something that I'd kept her under my wing for a long time because I didn't want her exposed to all the other things um and I guess yeah both of us just kind of realized didn't we that was that moment in 2020 where we thought okay, this is not right. And so we decided to, you know, speak up. Yeah, we spoke up. We, we, we shared some stuff online. And, and so, did, so did many athletes from around did. the world, right? Exactly. And they're all sharing the similar stories. So exactly, yeah. The, the amount, and that actually shocked me a little bit. Me too. Reading story after story and just going, wow, this is like, this is the same same as what we did. Yeah. Same as what we went through. Yeah, like, exactly. What? And I think what, what happened in Australia was Gymnastics Australia, um, they commissioned the Human Rights Commission yes. to do an independent review of, of gymnastics the in Australia. Yeah, yeah. The, the culture in Australia. Yeah. Gymnastics, and so that was right. great because in those athletes that spoke out, mm. that prompted that. Gymnastics Australia could not stay say silent. Yes. Neither could the um, Australian Sports Commission. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they had to do something about it. So I think... It, it was so encouraging to yeah. see that in speaking out, we forged this potential new outlook yeah. for future gymnasts. And, and that, for me, 
um, alone. Like I said, being involved heavily in gymnastics at the time at a, at a club level, like this was not at an elite level by any means. Um, but I could see that we needed change yeah. and we still do need change. But that was like, okay. And I remember sitting back and reading these stories and thinking, I don't know if I want to say anything like this. Yeah. How is this going to affect me? Of course. And then, you know, as time went on and you, I sort of sat back and thought about it a little bit more and the more stories I read and the more stories I heard, I thought, you, I, you can't, you can't just stop and silence this sort of stuff because if we don't speak out now, who's going to speak out for these next lot of kids? You know, exactly. How long is it going to be before exactly. change Because it didn't end with our generation of gymnasts, right? No. It kept going. And that shocked me even more. The amount of stories from the girls after yeah. our Olympic cycle. The and, same stories. And after that Olympic cycle, that was just sort of like, hang on a second, yeah. that's, that is not okay. And so I guess that's where we sort of decided well this is a journey we need to take and we need to change and how can we help yeah how can we help and which which also turned into we also need to help ourselves because yeah we were struggling right absolutely and and we didn't really know how badly we were struggling until we started speaking to each other yeah and speaking to specialists and that that first initial little group that we sort of gained I guess we were very lucky that we had some input from um, a law firm and some direction from solicitors to sort of say yep we want to help you guys like we can see that this is a a bigger problem than just an individual problem because that's the road we took initially right so Mm. we got in contact with a solicitor and we sued the Australian government yeah yeah so we as individuals we sued them yeah so we put forward um stories for the independent review and from that obviously there was a number of changes that needed to come out but along with that the solicitor was like well hang on a second there's more here than just this cultural change in gymnastics yeah and and there was a few of us that sort of went you know what I think that I think you're right even though we were a little bit scared I think we were we knew in our hearts that it was the right thing to do and so that's what we did and and I guess, like, you know, we are absolutely not interested in blaming any one individual no. in gymnastics. No. Um, there, there is a systemic cultural problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah, and I think that's what it was always about. It was always about the cultural change in gymnastics. It was never about, I want to pinpoint people yep. who hurt me or, or people who, you know, did the wrong thing by us. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so that's sort of like... Um, I guess that's where we're going to go with our next podcast. We want to sort of, you know, you guys know a little bit more about us now. And so what we want to do is we want to sort of go into like, you know, what our daily lives were, what we experienced as gymnasts, and then how we kind of got to that point where we went, hang on a second, this is not right. Yeah. Um, You know, because hearing our stories today, like, I just think we love gymnastics so much. We love it so much. much. But for so many years, we thought we hated it, right? Yeah. And so much so, I haven't coached traditional gymnastics in a really long time because, and even when I did, I worked in regional areas because I didn't want to be surrounded by any of the people that reminded me of the past. Yeah. And it's really sad because I love gymnastics. You love gymnastics. I know. We want gymnastics for everyone. I still, I'm walking around in Woolies and I see an open aisle. I'm wanting to do a cartwheel down that thing. (laughs) It's gymnastics is in my blood. Oh, you have... (laughs) 
you meet a young parent and they're like, oh, what should I do with my kids? And I'm like, gymnastics. Of course you, you have gymnastics. to put them into gymnastics because that's the best thing to do for them because it gives them X, Y, and Z, you know. Yeah. And, and so that's, I guess, like we're not here to like blame anyone, but we just want to, um, I, we want to share our stories because there's, you know, each individual gymnast story is different it is especially those ones who maybe trained with us or before us or after us or had a similar journey but we just want to be able to open up a little bit more and open up that door to maybe like you know thinking about how things can be done what changes are happening now because there Um, are some changes happening now and and the gymnasts who have spoken out and even the gymnasts who haven't we should all feel proud that we've contributed in some way to things starting to move, yeah. starting to yeah. change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that first, that Human Rights Commission, that report that came out, I think that was sort of, you know, that was the first little win that we had. And now we need to continue to push and we need to continue to change things because yeah. that's great. Yeah. It's all well and good to put something down in paper, but how do we spread that across every small club and coach and athlete and hold gymnastics australia accountable Accountable. and make sure they're ensuring a safe atmosphere and environment for for these kids absolutely and coaches of course yeah so i think that's where we're we're going and yeah so the next episode what are we going to do we're going to talk about day-to-day life at the ais and what what what, what it was. What, what it was. Because <laughs> we didn't share that, right? <laughs> no. We, we need a whole episode for yeah, that. Yeah, so we, we will be talking about our day-to-day lives at the Institute of Sport when we were just little whippersnappers. Little tackers. Yeah. Um, and then obviously from that we want to move on a little bit more and on what we've like sort of learnt in the last three years and what that yeah. journey looked like for us. Because I think that's important to share because if we talk about what happened – how it affected us and how it affects us as adults and as parents, as coaches. That's so important to share that information with Mm. the community because I think that information helps drive policy. Yeah. If we say or do such and such with kids, this is what may happen. This is what's, yeah. Or this is, the research shows this is what happens. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that... um, is probably like we should probably wrap up for yeah t- for today yeah, like so i guess on this one i um, think we'll, we'll start a facebook page we haven't done that yet but yeah, we'll but start we a facebook page <laughs> <laughs> we will through thick and three decades yes what a t- what a and three decades. terribly difficult name to say <laughs> <laughs> three times in a row you try it um but look guys honestly you should um you know if you want to follow us you know, like our Spotify account, follow us on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and you can hear us again next month. Yeah. And when, when we say guys, we're talking to my mum and your daughter. <laughs> that's who's going to be listening. So hi, Bridie and mum. <laughs> and we will chat to you guys in a month. Thanks. Brilliant. Speak to you soon. so much for listening don't forget if you'd like to hear more you can find us on spotify where you can search for through thick and three decades or check out our facebook pages for updates where you can ask any questions or make suggestions for future podcasts